Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So we're in the middle of the series right now that's just simply called Jesus. Um, And what we're going to do from now and through Christmas, through the new year, is just look at the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at the stories of Jesus. And we're going to be asking this question of is how did Jesus interact with people? How did he encounter people? And what we find throughout the Bible is that when Jesus encounters people, they can't stay the same. Like he encounters them and some people are transformed and they come and they leave everything and they follow him. And then other people are challenged by him and they're challenged so much that they can't leave everything and they end up walking away from Jesus. But what I want us to look at is how, what is it about Jesus that leads people to this place of transformation, to this place where their lives are changed forever? And so what we're going to do is we're just going to look at these snapshots, these stories of Jesus that are throughout the gospel that share Jesus' life, his ministry, and his teachings. And we're going to look at how he's engaging with people, and we're going to see how, that w- how we can be a part of those stories as well. Because I think what often happens is that we end up setting ourselves kind of outside as the outliers, is that we read these stories in our Bibles and we blow right through them. Like, the call of Levi is like four, four or five verses, and it's very easy to just blow right through it and not see what Jesus is doing there. But when we slow down and we look at the text, we can see, like we did last week, how Jesus is inviting Levi into a new place of home for him to find his home and his identity in a new place outside of the place that he once formally did. And so this series, in many ways, is this invitation to slow down and for us to not see ourselves as people on the sidelines of these stories of Jesus, but as people who can participate and engage and encounter Jesus just as these people did in God's word. All right, so I want to invite us there this morning by turning today's to today's passage. And today's passage comes from Luke chapter 5. So if you have your phone, uh, pull it out and open up your Bible app or uh, whatever Bible device that you have. If you, maybe you have a paper Bible device, um, that is your Bible. Um, go ahead and open that up to Luke 5. It's going to be on the screen as well. And I just want to read today's passage as we jump in. And so this is what it says from Luke 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles in the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, saying, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. We have seen extraordinary things today. Because these men took a risk and came before Jesus, and Jesus saw them and healed them. Now, what I want you to see is that this passage doesn't just happen in a vacuum, but that there are things happening before it in Luke that leads up to this point. And so if we go back two chapters in the book of Luke to chapter, th- chapter 3, what we find is that Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And as Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus and rests upon him. And the Father says, this is my son who I am well pleased. And so the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus, and from there Jesus is sent out into the desert in chapter 4 to be tempted by Satan. And in this place of temptation, Jesus has victory over the temptations that Satan brings upon him. And so Jesus kind of battles it out with Satan and has victory over him in the desert. And when he comes out of the desert... In chapter 4, he goes to his home town, and he comes to the synagogue, and he makes an important declaration. And it's so important that I want to read it to us this morning, because this is kind of the beginning and the trajectory of Jesus' work and what Jesus has come to do. And we'll start to see this fulfilled in the story that we read today. And so Jesus is at the synagogue, and this is what it says. It says, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll to the place where it was written, and this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering to the sight of the blind, and to set liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls up the scroll, and he says, this has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Jesus is saying, this is who I am, and this is what I've come to do. And he leaves that place, and immediately he encounters a man who has a demon in him, and Jesus casts out that evil spirit, and the man walks away free. And then it says, Jesus comes to another town, and there are now many people who are starting to come to Jesus, and he begins to heal them, and he heals many, many people. And in verse 43, of chapter 4, it says this. Jesus says to the people there, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God wherever I go because this is why I've been sent. And so what we find with Jesus is that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's come to establish a kingdom. He's come to establish the kingdom of God and he's come to proclaim it. And what we find is that in this kingdom, it's a different type of kingdom then any other kingdom has gone before, but it's, it's this kingdom where, where people who are oppressed, where people who are sick, where people who are in need are, are starting to be healed, who are starting to be set free. And what we find in this kingdom that Jesus is leading is that he's the king. And that where he is the king, he's, he's going forward not just with words of declaration, not just with empty words of like this will come someday or this is, this is some happy imagination of what the future looks like, but he goes forward with authority and power showing what this kingdom is like. And so this is the backdrop for the story that we receive in chapter 5. And so in chapter 5, 
the work of Jesus has begun to spread so far and it's begun to spread so wide that it gets the attention of a certain group of people. And that certain group of people are called the Pharisees and the scribes. Chapter 5 of Luke is the very first time that we find Luke describing the Pharisees and the scribes. And these people become a people who are part of the work that Jesus is doing. They're kind of this foil, literary foil for Jesus throughout the rest of the book of Luke where the Pharisees and the scribes are there questioning what Jesus is doing the rest of the way through the book of Luke. And this is the first place that we find them. This is the first place that we find them. And Jesus' work is so prevalent, and it's so interesting, and it's so compelling to these religious leaders that they come from everywhere, right? It says that they came from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Basically, they're saying all of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, show up in one place, and Jesus is teaching them. It's almost like the who's who of Pharisees luncheon with Jesus is happening. Like, that's what's going on here. Jesus has all these guys. They're from all over, and Jesus is teaching them. And they want to know, what is this guy about? What is he teaching? What does he have? And why is he such, creating such a fuss? And there's, there's a lot of them. And so that's who's in the room. But there's also these guys in the city who have heard of the work that Jesus has been doing. And they find that, you know, lots of people have been healed when Jesus shows up. And so they get in their head, they have their paralytic friend, and they're like, you know what? What would it be like if we were able to get our paralyzed friend in front of Jesus? I bet you Jesus might heal him. Because that's what it seems like this Jesus guy is doing. It seems like that's what he's up to. And so that's what we find in verse 18. It says, Behold, some men we were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. And the assumption there is that so Jesus could heal him, so that Jesus could show up and, and serve their friend that needed healing. But what did they find? What did they find when they got there? What happened? They showed up. They got their friend. They lugged them all the way. Like, it's, it's hard. I don't know if you've ever carried dead weight, but, like, it is work to carry a man on a mat a distance. And so they show up, and what, what happened? What's going on? There's a lot of crowds. The crowds are big. The crowds are full. The room is full. And there's no way for them to get in. Now, I want you to know is that in this story, the crowds aren't the problem. The problem is the people who are in the crowds. Because this crowd is the Pharisees and the religious leaders and they begin to create this barrier for these men to bring this paralytic in to see Jesus. Because when they show up, there's no, like, hey, can you move aside? Like, we've got this paralyzed man. You know, we think, like, in our world, like, we, we would see somebody, we'd, like, start to make way. Like, yeah, yeah, come, come see Jesus. Like, we'll, we'll make space for you, for you to get there. But, like, when, when they show up, they're like, nah, nope. They re- they're like, we're, we're these important teachers, and Jesus is teaching us. It's almost like they're like, we're at a teaching convention here, and we don't have time for normal people. And not, o- not only do we not have no- time for normal people, but we especially don't have time for paralyzed people. And, it, and the reason why is because back in that day, if you were paralyzed, or if you had some type of physical disability, the idea was is that you sinned somewhere at some point and that God was punishing you 
through your physical ailment, through your physical disability. And so there was no need to ask for healing because God was actually punishing you. And so they would see this man that was paralyzed and they would be like, no, there, there's no room. You know, they'd kind of like bunch together because we know, we know that no matter how large the crowd is, we've all been to concerts where there's no room. Like if you want to get someone there, especially a dude that's on a mat, what could you do? You just crowd surf the guy, right? Like there's, like there's no excuse. There's no excuse for why this guy is not getting there other than the people that are in the room don't want him to get there. Okay? And so this is where the beginning of the barrier set up for these men and for this paralytic. They, they realize there's no way in. There's no way in. And it, from this place, they could have started to make for themselves excuses. They could have been like, you know what? It's full. They won't let us in. I guess we're just going to go home, right? They could have also been like, well, it looks like Jesus is hanging out with some pretty important people. Looks like he's busy. Like, we wouldn't want to inconvenience Jesus. So I guess we're just going to turn around and go back home. They could have also been like, you know what? Like, he is paralyzed. Maybe God is punishing him, and maybe these guys are right. And maybe if we did get him in front of Jesus, like, maybe Jesus wouldn't have healed him in the, anyways. Because like, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true that this guy doesn't deserve healing and that God wouldn't be able to do anything for him anyways. I mean, there's a number of different barriers that could have started to stir up into these guys' minds. But when you read the story, you get the sense that these things don't, these things don't come into the minds of these guys. They don't allow these barriers or these lies or these perceptions of themselves to get in the way. No, these guys, they're like, we want to get near to Jesus, and we trust that if we could get near to Jesus, Jesus is going to be able to see our need, and he's going to be able to heal us. He's going to be able to, to step in and provide for us because he's declaring a new kingdom, and he's king of that kingdom. And we want to get in front of him and just see what he's going to do. And it's worth whatever risk it's going to take for us to get there. And so I'm just going to imagine that these guys are sitting there. They're just sitting there. And they're, one guy like looks up at the roof of the house. And back in this day, there were stairs that went up to the roof because the, the roof of the house is kind of like a patio. It's kind of like a, an outdoor hangout area. And I, I think one of the guys was just like looking at the stairs and he was looking at the roof. He's like, guys, I think, I think I've got an idea. Like, what if we went through the roof? And again, the guys could have, you know, this was risky because even though the text says that they removed some tiles from the roof, it wasn't just a tile roof. There was some insulation. There was some mud. Like they were going to they're going to vandalize. They were going to do some property destruction for this to happen, for them to get in front of Jesus, in front of a group of people who don't want them to be there to be able to make this happen. But that's what these guys do. They haul their friend up the stairs. They remove some of the tiles. They dig a hole, and they drop them through the ceiling. And I mean, what an entrance that could have been, right? I mean, anytime, any concert you go to, when the lead singer comes in from the ceiling, right, like, it's a big deal. Like, it gets everyone's attention. And it would have been dramatic, and it would have stopped everything, including Jesus in his tracks. And so here comes this man paralyzed on a mat, dropping down in front of them. And they came hoping that Jesus was going to heal this man. 
And instead, this is what Jesus does. The text says this. He says, when he saw their faith, he sees them. He sees this man on the mat that's paralyzed. He sees the man's need, and he sees the men's faith and their courage that they took to risk to get there. Like, he sees all the barriers. He knows that he's with a group of people who don't want him there, who don't want this guy here. He knows all the barriers that it took for them to haul Jesus there. Like, he knows that it's a big deal that these guys dug through a ceiling and destroyed some property to get in front of Jesus, and Jesus is moved. He sees the risks. He sees their heart to just want to be near him. And he sees their faith that Jesus can provide for their needs. Now, the need that they thought that they had is that they wanted their friend to be able to walk. But Jesus sees this guy's ultimate need. And this guy's ultimate need is that he needed forgiveness from his sins. He needed to be forgiven his sins. And so that's the first thing that Jesus does. They show up thinking Jesus is just going to heal the guy. They're hoping that that's like the minimum that can happen. Instead, Jesus does something incredibly radical, and he proclaims to the man, he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And when this happens, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, like, they, they freak out because only God could forgive sin. And God could only forgive sin with the right sacrifices at the right place, which would have been the temple, through the right people, which would have been the priest. Like, that's how sins got forgiven, is that it happened through sacrifice at the, a specific place through a specific person. And here Jesus just proclaims it and names it. And it's because Jesus is bringing in a kingdom where he is the sacrifice, where he is the temple, and to where he is the priest. Jesus is redefining all of these things in this moment. He's saying, you think the kingdom of God is in that building? You think that it's through sacrifices and that it's through men? I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is here, and it's now, and it's happening through me. And what I want us to see is that this power that Jesus has comes Earlier in the passage, there's kind of this foresight that happens. And it says this. It says, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And so what's, what's happening is that what it's saying is that Jesus is able to heal through the power that's coming through the Holy Spirit. And when we go back before, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus proclaims, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it's important that, that we notice this because a lot of times we read these stories and we think, well, Jesus is God. And Jesus does a lot of things because he's God. And in this space, he's able to forgive sin because he is God. But the thing that he's also able to do is that he's able to heal. And he's able to heal through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's important that Luke notes this because Luke is also the writer of Acts. And he writes Luke and Acts at the same time. And what's the story of Acts about? Well, the story of Acts is about the Holy Spirit residing on God's people and filling God's people and about God's people being God's temple and about us being God's priests to the world, that we're this chosen nation to go out and we're a people who are also able to carry with us this power to heal. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, we need to look at the life of Jesus very carefully and ask the question, what are the things that Jesus is doing because he's God? And we allow him to do those things because he is God. And we have no, we have no point 
participating in those things. But then the other things, which I believe is, is most of Jesus' ministry and career, is what's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says even to his disciples, like, even you, the helper is going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to come and fill you, and even you are going to do greater things than this. And so the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus to heal, and it's also available to us. The kingdom of God is available to us through the Holy Spirit residing in us when we come to Jesus and we make Jesus King and Lord of our lives and we risk everything like these men to follow him, okay? So Jesus forgives this dude his sins. And the Pharisees, they grumble, they complain because it's not how they expect it. And they call Jesus a blasphemer. They call him because this is only something God can do. They don't understand that Jesus is God, that Jesus is king, that he is the temple, that he is the sacrifice, that he is the priest. They don't understand this yet. But Jesus wanting to try and show them and and open their eyes to his world, right, to his kingdom, it says this. It says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier for you to say? Your sins are forgiven. You arise and walk. And then he says this, but so that they may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and he picked up what he'd been laying on, and he went home glorifying God. It's amazing. Jesus sees this man. He sees the risk that he took to be near him. Jesus meets his ultimate need, and through that he also meets his physical need, and he restores him. And he redeems his life because, I mean, can you imagine, we can only imagine what it's like to be paralyzed today with like physical therapies and different ways that that we can, can manage paralysis today. But being paralyzed in the first century, like you literally looked up at the ceiling your whole life. I think it's kind of ironic that this guy comes through the ceiling then, right? When like this is what he stared at his whole life is the ceiling. And, and And part of his story is that he's going to come through the ceiling to Jesus for him to heal him. But he restores him so that he can have a job, so that he can have work, so that he can start to take care well for others. And not only does he leave there with a new body, but he's also able to leave there with peace, with peace knowing that God has forgiven him and that he can go into this new life with confidence of restored life in relationship with God. I mean, what confidence and what amazing way to enter into this new life is that not only has he been given a new body, but he's also been given a new hope. He's been given a new peace. And he goes out glorifying God, just giving all the praise to God. What we find is that when Jesus shows up and when Jesus heals and when Jesus' kingdom breaks through, God is glorified. God gets the credit. And this guy walks out dancing. It's amazing. There's no room for him to come in at the beginning, right? But guess what? He just blasts right out of there. They like... Like, there, there was space the whole time. And he, he runs out, and the other people were amazed as well. And they praise God, and they bring glory to God as well. What I love is at the end is that they proclaim, it says, that we've seen extraordinary things today. This word, extraordinary things, in the Bible is paradoxa, where we get the word paradoxical. They're like, they're like what we just saw doesn't make sense in our brains, Like, what we just saw was absolutely, like, the world doesn't work like this, but it just did in front of us. 
And it's because the kingdom of God is breaking through and he is king and his world doesn't function the way that we think that our world does. But his world comes and brings redemption and it brings freedom and it brings life and it brings joy. And what I want us to see is that in this story, like no one comes in this story alone. Like the risk that these guys take Like, it's not just the paralytic. Like, the paralytic actually can't do anything. He needs to convince his friends that it's worth taking him to go in front of Jesus. And so his friends carry him. And his friends have to measure in their heart, like, is it worth the risk for us as a community to dig through this guy's house and bring him in front of Jesus? The risk to get to Jesus is a community effort. It's not just... The friends, and it's not just the guy on the mat, but it's everyone's involved has agreed. We are going to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus together, and we're going to go together, and we're going to risk together, and we don't care what it's going to take and what stands in our way and all the barriers that stand in our way. We're going to trust that life is better where Jesus is and that whatever the barriers are and whatever it takes to get over those barriers, it's worth it. And I believe that that's true in our lives too. In our lives, we can think of hundreds of barriers that would prevent us from getting to Jesus, hundreds of lies that would prevent us from getting to the truth of who Jesus is. But Jesus is inviting us, come. And the question is this morning, are you ready to come? And are you ready to put down those barriers? Are you ready to put down those excuses? And are you willing to risk whatever it is that God's inviting you to risk, no matter the cost, to come and to experience his kingdom and to know him for his glory and for your joy and for the joy of the people that are around you. Because it's not just about you, but it's also about the community. And I believe where God is leading us to follow him together is for us to take risks together as a community and to go and follow him together. So it's not just about the paralytic. It's not just about the friends. It's like we're everybody in this story. And the question is, are we going to go? Are we going to risk? Are we going to go together? And are we going to make Jesus everything in our lives. Because I think in a lot of ways, we, we are paralyzed. We are paralyzed. We're like that guy on the mat. We might not be physically paralyzed, but we might be paralyzed in our fear. We might be paralyzed in our shame. We might be paralyzed in our lives through our rage. Like those are like the three major fleshly ways that our flesh comes out and binds us in our life, is that it's in our fear, it's in our shame, and it's in our rage, it's in our anger. And, and you guys know when, when we are bound in fear, like sometimes we're physically paralyzed. Other times we just know emotionally, mentally, that we're paralyzed and that we're not st- entering into and we're not stepping into the, into the things that God has for us. Same thing when our anger gets away from us and we rage and other people are harmed because of our anger. We, we realize, man, this is paralyzing. This is damaging parts of our lives. Or maybe there's some places of secret shame that you're keeping to yourself that just are hidden and buried within you. And, and only a few people know that we're, that we're direct you know, um, casualties of your shame. Or maybe no one knows. And you just have this, this secret shame that's, that's like in your gut that's like, inside of you that you're holding on to that you don't let anyone know and it's killing you and it's eating you from the inside out. The the reality is that Jesus wants you to come this morning with your fear, with your shame, and with your rage. 
He wants you to risk whatever it is that you have to risk to come to him so that he can set you free from those things. Because that's what his kingdom is about. And that's what he wants for his people and for his kingdom. And his spirit is here and it's alive and it's within us and there's an invitation and there's a question of are you ready to go all in? Are you ready to rip the roof off to get to Jesus and for him to set you free so that you can walk out of this place glorifying him like the man on the mat did. So in this space, what I want us to do is um, we're, we're also kind of going through this where, where we want to share stories, where we want to share stories and experiences of what it is to encounter Jesus and what it is to risk and what it is to enter in, into that place. And so I want to invite Tracy up this morning. And Tracy um, has been studying God, has been encountering God, encountering Jesus, and he's She's got some stories and some words to share with us this morning that kind of relate to what it is that we're talking about this morning. So I want to give Tracy the mic and just invite her to share some of her story and what God's been doing over the last couple of weeks in her life as it relates to this. Thanks, Tracy. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Um, thanks, Justin. Uh, I had reached out just via text. Um, I have been going through a new study personally, and uh, this poem came up on the on the kind of the side of the, the page, and I wanted to read it all. And I think Olivia might have it to put it up. Um, it's called the River. It says, um, "God's passion is an endless river, white water running wild, in a restless, rushing fury, seeing uh, to see souls reconciled. It re- it reaches wide across forever. It's dangerous and deep, and while some venture to the shoreline." Um, while some, um, some even dare to leap. And as the river rages, the river runs all through the ages. Long after I'm gone, there's a truth I'm finding that I cannot ignore. Whenever I dive in or stand on the shore, the river keeps rushing on. What do you think about that for a second as I pause, that no matter if we're on the shore or we dive in, the river keeps rushing on. Mm. All of those who have rode the rapids have a message they must tell. There is a joy in being lost in something that is bigger than yourself. And though the current takes you places where you learn to lose control, if you think you're going under, he will never let you go. I also want you to hear that. He's never going to let you go. Towards some quiet sea somewhere, there is nothing like the journey there. So I, um, I read this, and just in that moment, I remembered about a year, year and a half ago, I was texting Mickey. I'm like, when did you say that prophecy about um, Jesus? I don't know. Some of you might have been here, some not. But she was talking about how there's this invitation from Jesus to jump in, to jump into the river. He's sitting in the middle. He's welcoming us in. And I just felt this like overwhelming sense of that was like the same message I was reading a year later. Um, for myself, but then I just texted it to some friends, and and I just been meditating and thinking on it all week. Like Jesus, where in the where in my personal life am I not taking that risk and jumping in? Where am I staying on the shoreline? Where am I trusting the world more than I'm trusting you, Father? And at that same time, I um, one of my friends, a Crystal, text messaged me, "Hey, listen to this this message." So I was listening to this podcast. Um, and um, the speaker was saying what faith is, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. 
And I was like, so again, I was meditating on that. Like, what does it mean to step out in faith, but also in risk? So all these things are kind of washing in my brain as I'm meditating on them. And uh, we needed to get our trees removed in our front yard. And I, uh, so the guys were done. And I was like, hey, you guys need the check? And they're like, yeah. So I went inside to write the check. And I came back outside, and I gave the, one of the gentlemen um, that I had talked to briefly the check. I'm like, hey, how you doing today? And he's like, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm doing all right, but I've had a migraine headache for the last, um, like, three days. And I don't get migraines. And, you know, he's, like, kind of just bumming about it. And in that moment, I got these pictures in my head. I got um, the river with Jesus in the middle saying, come, I got the scripture from Matthew that says, as you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near, heal the sick. And then I got the third thing I had been listening to, risk. How is, or faith is spelled how? R-I-S-K. So I felt an invitation from God to take a risk in that moment. So I was, I was looking at him. I'd never met him in my driveway. I said, well, um, can I pray for you? So to me, that was a risk because I didn't know where he was. That could have been a rejection. That could have been a, like, no thank you. Um, and he's like, yeah, you can pray for me. And I said, all right. So we talked a little bit. Um, he's actually a believer. Um, so, uh, but he's like, I never even thought to pray to God to take away my migraine headache that I've been dealing with. I'm like, well, can I pray for you now? And let, let's see him take it away. And so I came in that moment taking that risk in faith, just like as they layered the, the, lowered the paralytic down. And I prayed for him. Um, and I commanded that migraine to go. I commanded it to leave him in Jesus' name. And guess what happened the first time? It didn't go away. <laughs> it didn't go away. And so I said, okay. I asked him, can I pray again? He's like, sure. And so I said the same thing again. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking through the scriptures. He says that, you know, Jesus says, I'll heal the sick. And um, guess what it happened the second time? He took it away. Mm. And so praise Jesus. Let's praise Amen. him for a second. It had nothing to do with me. Um, but I just want to share that as an encouragement, not a, not a oh, look at, look at what I did. But I just felt the call of, uh, of the Lord and all the things that I was meditating and processing. And he gave me a space to exercise the things that are already inside of me because he put the Holy Spirit inside of me. I didn't heal him. The Holy Spirit healed that man. And he left with a smile on his face. Um, and I mean, the, the main thing that I wanted him to know in that moment is how much he's loved and how much he's seen. That even though he knew Jesus, um, that it's maybe an invitation into a deeper relationship with him. And who knows what God can do with, with that testimony. But the whole idea of this, um, sharing this today, is hopefully it's an encouragement to you. Um, as Justin, like, it's like, hey, what's God been doing on your heart? Do you want to share this weekend? And I told him what I wanted to share. I didn't even know he was going to be preaching on what he was going to be talking about today. Yeah. So I think this is an invitation for DR as a body. Emma was praying about risk, right? <laughs> like all these things happening. Justin's preaching on this. Uh, and I feel like God was talking to me that faith faith equals risk. And when they lowered that man, um, Jesus saw their faith. So I, I encourage you, um, 
Like Mickey heard this uh, like a year ago, and I think it's still true today um, that it's an invitation to Jesus. What do you have to leave on the shoreline? What do you have to leave to jump fully in and follow Jesus? Um, but also, it, it's a challenge, too, right? There's this balance between the invitation and the challenge because some of those things that we have to leave behind might be very familiar to us. Like Justin was talking about that fear um, that something might not happen, um, the shame, or just whatever that looks like in our life. There's both an invitation and challenge there for us all today. So if you don't mind, I'd like everyone to stand up. If it's okay, I'm going to pray for you, and then Justin's going to um, finish out with an um, invitation. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for um, being a God that loves us, that sees us, uh, that wants, um, you know, for us to, us to walk in freedom um, and forgiveness. Um, thank you for, your, for being a God that, that challenges us to trust you and to take those risks in faith. And, and I just pray against um, anything that might be preventing us from stepping forward into the areas that you're calling us into. So I just, um, I speak against any fear that people might have to take that next step in that area. I just speak against that fear in Jesus' name. Um, I, just, I, I just thank you for being a God that, um, that speaks to us and just is asking us to respond. Amen. 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 Thanks, Tracy. Yeah, I love that story. I love that story because it shows that there's risk in two places. There's risk for us to initially come to Jesus, to, to know him, to experience him, to live life with him. But there's also the risk as Jesus' followers to bring people to Jesus, so to bring Jesus to them. That's what I said. Like the paralytic is taking a risk that God might heal him. The, and the friends are taking the risk to bring their friend to Jesus, that, hoping that Jesus will show up in that space. And that's what I love about Tracy's story is that Tracy steps in to this role of the friend who's just bringing him along and saying, well, let's, let's go to Jesus with this thing. Let's go to Jesus with what's going on in your life. And so we want to take this risk corporately together this morning. And we've got some people that, um, that have that have volunteered to pray and would love to pray over you. And so we're going to enter into this response place, this worship place. We're going to glorify God, um, where we're going to take communion and just praise God through the ways that he gave his son up for us, the way that he is the sacrifice, the way that he is the temple, and the way that he is the priest to forgive us of our sins and meet our ultimate need. Um, so we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper here. And then we're also going to just have people around to the edge of the room here um, that would love to pray for you. And so if you have anger, if you have fear, if you have shame, if you have things going on in your life that you'd want deliverance from, if you want prayer from, we want to be able to pray over you this morning. Maybe you've got something physical going on and you need prayer for something to, physical to be healed in you. Um, we want to pray for you. If you want to just be reminded and have proclaimed over you that you are forgiven because that's true, and sometimes we forget that and we allow just the lies of the enemy of this world to, to cloud us of the reality that Jesus has made in his kingdom, that we are forgiven people. If you want that just proclaimed over you and, and, and prayed over you, we want to do that for you as well. And maybe you want to step into forgiveness in Jesus for the first time, and we want to meet with you in that space as well, okay? So I'm going to call the worship team up. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to enter in this space of response where we can take risks together, and we can glorify God together, for he is good, and his kingdom is good, and it's here, and it's near, and it's among us now, okay? Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you again for this morning, and God, we thank you that you love us. We 
thank you that your kingdom is a kingdom of love that conquers fear, that conquers shame, that conquers and calms our rage, and that fills us with peace. And God, I pray that we would know your peace this morning, God, that that there would not be a person this morning to walk out these doors without experiencing and breathing in your peace and your love and your forgiveness and your hope and your vision for their life, God. Their life with you in relationship with you. God, may we know that there's no fear found in you, that there's only light and love and peace in your kingdom would lead us near you and give us the courage to risk all that might hold us back. In your name we pray. Amen.